Well, we began this series with John Fisher's brief but accurate summary of the Psalms, Life's Tough, God's Good. The video that we saw, the opportunity to see what's going on on the other side of the world with friends of ours next to the Ukraine in Russia, and the truth of this psalm all merged together to remind us, indeed, life's tough, but God is good. Psalm 42 is identified as a mascal in the heading, which means it's instruction. And it was created for the choir master, so it was also a song of worship. Now, if we were to sing it today, it would be sung in minor key because it's a lament, but it's designed to teach us something about what it's like to go through hard times. We don't know the author of this psalm, but we do quickly learn of his pain. He's having a wilderness experience. But he lets us know with a few coordinates and verses further down that it's not a physical wasteland like we so oftentimes see throughout Scripture. There are a number of times in the Bible that we find someone out in the wilderness. We think of Moses meeting God at the burning bush in the wilderness. The people of God leaving Egypt and wandering in the wilderness. We think of David hiding from Saul in the wilderness. Elijah fleeing from Jezebel in the wilderness where he's miraculously fed and provided for by God. John the Baptist living on locusts and wild honey in the wilderness. Can you imagine what it was like? I mean, I love pouring honey out of my little honey thing, but can you imagine just reaching in the beehive and getting that yourself? One tough dude. Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness as Satan tempted him, and, and the Apostle Paul spending time three years in the wilderness as God instructed him and matured him in his faith. We seldom have wilderness experiences literally like we see in the scriptures, but we have plenty of times in which we feel like we're in the wilderness. We could have plenty of water and food and the comfort of cool air but inside, we feel as if we are in a vast land of waste in which we have little to survive on. Words that are translated wilderness in the Bible show up roughly 300 times. But it doesn't always mean the same thing. In the simplest of terms, wilderness can be broken down into three categories. The first is midbar. It's uninhabited land where humans simply migrate through. They're nomads. It's where the wild animals live. You won't find subdivisions in the Midbar. The Arabah is translated many times as desert. It's survivable if you have the right skills, the right resources, and plenty of help. And then there's Chorba. It's the land without water. It's the wilderness in which you can only survive if God miraculously intervenes. Psalm 42, we find that the psalmist is describing an internal chorba, the wilderness in which only God can bring him back to life. It's a desperate situation, as we see in verses 1 through 3. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? It's a picture, a picture of desperation, internally and externally. It's a spiritual drought with verbal attacks being foisted on him from the outside. He compares himself to a deer struggling to survive. 
Now, animals in the wild are very resourceful, but he compares himself to a deer that cannot find water. Just as a deer has water as its highest priority, the psalmist yearns for God above all else. Verse 2, notice how distraught he is. He doesn't even eat. His tears are what he drinks. And he wants to encounter Elohim. Elohim is a name that means the living God above all other gods. It is God with a big G compared to gods with a little, little G. And uniquely, though, he is longing for an encounter of God in public worship. We can always encounter God privately, but that's not his concern. He's longing to go to Jerusalem, where he can encounter God as he desires with God's people. But Jerusalem is a long ways off. He's in the far stretches of Israel to the north. And there's not... He not only feels isolated and alone, but he's being ridiculed from the outside. He notes that people are saying, not asking, which reminds us that they're mocking him, where is your God? He longs to be in the assembly of God's people, but he's in the assembly of mockers. We're in somewhat of a wasteland today with our cultural shift away from God. Some of you are Jeopardy fans, and you know what happened on June the 13th? As three very smart people stared blankly at the televised Jeopardy board. The engineer, physics physics graduate student, and a professional fundraiser were on the show because they had already demonstrated their unique knowledge through auditions and qualifying rounds. But now all three of them were absolutely stumped. It wasn't a high-dollar question. It was a $200 prompt. The question was, stated as only Jeopardy can, Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be your name. None of the highly educated contestants could come up with the word hallowed, which had to be revealed to them by host Mayhem Bialik. It was truly a telling moment in American culture as that singular word from Christianity's most familiar prayer, which calls us for deep reverence to the God that the psalmist is speaking about, garnered nothing more than blank stares from very intelligent people. Like the psalmist here, people around us are very confused about God. So no no matter what type of wilderness you might be in right now, or encounter in the future. Psalm 42 provides us with a few wilderness survival tools. The first, as Ruth read earlier, remember. Remember things from the past. These things I remember. You saw that in the video. In a time of great desperation and desolation, he was singing, these things I remember. The psalmist remembered going to Jerusalem for the three major feasts in which God's people would assemble in Jerusalem for the Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. But ironically, it's his thoughts of the good old days that cause him to be sad. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We think back on the good old days of where we used to be with God, and we mourn the change. Yet memories can help us to start moving forward again. 
It was Corey Tinboom who said, memories are the key not to the past, but to the future. The psalmist is calling us and all of the readers to override our emotions because we know that emotions follow actions more often than actions following emotions. Think about exercise. How often do you get excited about getting on the treadmill or picking up the weights or going on that walk? Once you take actions, you find that the emotions tend to follow. Research shows that the average person can identify just three emotions as they actually experience them. Can you guess what they are? Happiness, sadness, and anger. Brune Brown has created a list of 87 different emotional responses to help us get a better understanding of what we actually feel in life. And the psalmist is saying, these are the things that I feel, but I must override my feelings with truth so I can get to where I need to be. 54 years ago this week, the Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And you recall that day, July 20th, some of you do, in which Neil Armstrong had to override the auto control so that they could land safely on the moon. The psalmist is saying we need to override what naturally comes to our mind so that we can arrive safely out of our despair. What are some things that we can remember? Remember Maria in The Sound of Music. She would sing about the things that she would recall. Well, here are some things. Scripture, family, life, history, the church with a big C, and the church with a little C. You think about Scripture. We can turn to Scripture and we can find things that sustain and strengthen us, even as this passage, but one of my favorite verses of Scripture is Genesis 42, 36. Jacob has just learned as his boys returned back from Egypt trying to get food for the famine, and they brought the food back, yes, but they had to leave Simeon behind. He's already lost Joseph. He thinks he's dead. And now they're saying, the man said, we can't have any more food unless we bring back Benjamin. And he's saying, I've lost Joseph. You want me to lose Benjamin? And I've already lost Simeon. And he says, quote, everything is going against me. You feel like that sometimes? Everything is going against me. And then you read the next chapter. And the boys go back to Egypt. And they discover, discover that the man in charge is actually their brother, Joseph, who is not better but he has a plan to provide for all of the family. Scripture like that reminds us that we are not yet to the end of the story when we feel as if we're living in the wilderness. Family. You think about family experiences in which you felt like you were in the wilderness. I still remember driving over the Fred Hartman Bridge, coming to introduce our kids, eight and six years of age, to Beaumont, a church named Westgate that was interested in us becoming the pastor and we had decided that if this church wanted us to go, that we would go. And we were telling our kids. And our daughter, at the age of eight, got out of her seatbelt and down on the floor of the van and began to scream and kick her feet. And then she began to say the ABCs, but she said A, and she forgot B. She wouldn't say B because that meant Beaumont. And she said A, C, and then she got to the letter H, which meant Houston, where we lived. And she said H. And she thought her life was going to come to an end. But it would be fewer than 10 years 
that she would meet a young man named Ben Lacey right in the atrium of this facility. And today, Michelle and I will get the privilege of being with their four beautiful daughters. Sometimes you remember the experiences of family in which God revealed himself, and it turned out that when we moved to Beaumont, it was one of the best things that ever happened to our lives. Think about life, life experiences of yourself and others. I remember that ninth grade football player who in frustration slammed the ball down and began to use God's name profanely. And that God would speak to him in the midst of his failure. And it would say, someday in the future, you're going to be a husband and a father and a pastor. And if you want to succeed, your life is going to need to change, and it did. We think about history in general, people like Corey Tin Boom, that victoriously survived the atrocities of the Holocaust. People like Billy Graham that traveled the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Horatio Spafford that gave us that incredible song, It Is Well With My Soul. So oftentimes we recall that he lost to four daughters in a shipwreck, and that's why he wrote that. But not long before that, he lost his son and all of his livelihood in the Chicago fire. But he rose above it to say, it is well with my soul. History. The church with a large C. We pray for spiritual awakening. We long for God to do something new and fresh and experiences in which people encounter God. But do we recall that every hour of every day, more people come to Christ than they did at the day of Pentecost? God is moving and spiritual awakening is taking place. Maybe not in what we see in America, but it's taking place around the world. And I will even say for America, I am seeing something now among young people that I've never seen before, a hunger and a craving for the word of God and authentic worship. And I am encouraged that God is turning things around in our land. I think about the church with a little C, a little church that I grew up in, Village Meadows Baptist Church in Sierra Vista, Arizona. I remember being as a, as a junior high kid, that's what they called it back then, we would be in the baptistry changing area for Sunday school. And we'd be sitting on the steps leading up to the baptistry. The room was half the size of my office. And I remember the time that God would be shaping us in ways that we couldn't even understand in the moment. It was there that I took my kids in 1997 when we went back from my 20th high school reunion. And the church had moved on and it had gotten bigger. And we went into what used to be the sanctuary and it was now just a fellowship hall. And I remember talking to the people that showed us the room. And I said, for you, it's just a fellowship hall, but I recall that I was baptized in that baptistry. It was a milestone moment in my life in which I committed myself to Jesus Christ. I remember standing at that altar, just this little step as one step up to the podium. And I remember standing there and making a commitment to that church that God was calling me to be a pastor. At the age of 17, I had no idea what that looked like, no idea how that could work, but it was a moment in my life. Friends, we can ret return to Scripture and family and life and history and the church universal and the, char the church local to find things to remember that help us to pull out of the wilderness. The psalmist said, incorporate biblical truth, and he repeated that in verse 11. My soul, my soul, why are you downcast? Why am I so disturbed? Put your hope in God. 
The word disturbed there is a deep visceral pain. It's an internal uproar. And some of you feel that even now in your lives. It may look good on the outside, but inside there is something that is churning. He's not talking about a bad day. The psalmist isn't talking about a bad day. He's talking about a bad life. In this psalm, we see this fight between despair and faith. And if we want to win that battle, we're going to have to put up a fight. It just won't happen. So he begins to talk to himself. How many times have you told somebody, don't preach to me? I don't take that personally. Fact is, preacher is my least favorite term. My hope is that someday I'll be remembered more as a pastor than a preacher. Sixty years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we need to preach to ourselves when he was talking about a downcast spirit. He said, if you realize that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself, he's not talking about standing in front of the mirror and saying, you are beautiful, you can do this. He's talking about talking to yourself, preaching to yourself the truths of God's Word. Incorporate biblical truth. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, and that will lead to praise and worship. Think about the, incorpor- the, the way to incorporate Scripture. I think in just one chapter, what you can do with that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, in which we feel defeated and discouraged and as if we're out in the wilderness, it says in Romans 8, 11, that the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. That's a lot of power to make things right. And you continue on in that chapter in Romans 8, 37, and he says, with all the things that are happening to us, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. Use Scripture to write and write the script of your life. And that's using write, a word that sounds the same in two different ways. Use Scripture to write, W-R-I-T-E, to write the Scripture of your life. And use Scripture to R-I-G-H-T, to write, to correct the script of your life. Hope. Put your hope in Him. We talked about that the other day. Uh, last week. It's that complete dependence upon God. I remember in 1981 traveling over to Israel. What an exciting adventure that was. I'd only flown on one airplane prior to that, and we got on a 747. I've never seen anything so large in my life. It looked like we were in a building, and we started taxiing down the runway, and I thought to myself, we will never get in the air. And I was tempted to facilitate and help the airplane by lifting my feet so it wouldn't be so heavy. Sometimes we do that with God, as if God needs our help. And hope is to put your entire trust in Him. He's got this, just like that plane had it for me. In her study of suffering, Benita Reisner says, Our hope isn't changed. Our hope isn't in changed circumstances but it is in an unchanging God who meets us in the storm. If our hope is dependent on something changing, then we will be consistently disappointed. And that's why the psalmist was saying, I am way north and I can't get back to Jerusalem to worship the way that I want. And if I wait until that changes, I will be continually despondent. 
but I can change now by remembering the things of God and remembering God. See, it's one thing to remember the things of God, the events, the things that have happened in our lives, but make sure that you always remember God. Make it personal. Notice what he says in verse 6, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. I will remember you. Not only do I remember the things, but I remember you, the giver of those things. He's standing in a very unique place. Ruth did a wonderful job. That last, it's a little bit difficult to say. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. That means a little mountain, and that tells us and gives us a clue as to where he is. He is in the vicinity of Mount Hermon. He can see it in the distance, but he's standing on a little hill. And as he stands there and he looks, he is seeing Mount Hermon, which is the headwater of Jordan. What does Jordan do? Jordan makes Israel livable. It's the river that flows into the Sea of Galilee, and it goes down through, the, through Israel, and it, it terminates in the Dead Sea. If it were not for the Jordan River, Israel would be a chorba. It would be a wilderness wasteland where nothing could survive. But because of Mount Hermon and the snow that melts there and feeds the Jordan and gives life to Israel, God reminds him in saying, what you see physically, you see the source of life, Mount Hermon. What you see physically, I want you to internalize and recognize that I am the source of life. It's right in front of us. Our source of life, when we feel as if we are in the wilderness, is right in front of us. And it's God Almighty. So what is our point of refreshment? The Lord is our source of abundant living water. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38, Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within. It's not just a sip. It's not just a cup. It's not just a bottle but rivers of living and abundant water will flow from within us. William Cowper knew John Newton as his pastor and close friend. They worked together in publishing a hymnal that included Newton's Amazing Grace and Cowper's There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Cowper knew the darkness of his soul. He suffered from depression and tried to take his life multiple times before coming to Christ. He spent extended time in St. Alban's insane asylum, and it was there that a doctor gave him a Bible. Cowper put his trust in Christ and was released a year after his conversion. Not immediately, but a year later. But that didn't solve all of his depression and discouragement. It didn't disappear. He found himself, like the psalmist of Psalm 42, having to regularly remember the things of God and to trust in God himself. He learned like the psalmist and us today that even though his discouragement was great, God and his prevailing strength are greater still. When all you see is bad, remember God is good. Oswald Chambers put it this way, it is not our trust that keeps us, but the God in whom we trust who keeps us. The psalmist learned that, and I pray that we have learned that. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope that you will put your trust in the one who loves you and has created you to have a relationship with him.
He longs for you to be pulled out of the wilderness and experience the abundant living water of a relationship with Christ. We can't do that on our own. Just as when you are in the chorba and you cannot survive on your own, sin has placed us in a wilderness that we cannot survive without God. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. We can be changed for eternity. What great news. Every time that I look in the mirror, I see a person that I long to see changed. And Jesus Christ can change us for all of eternity. We simply have to repent of our sins. It means we turn in a different direction, away from our sins toward God, and fully and completely surrender our life to Him. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to pray a prayer that would begin a relationship with Christ. Friends, those of you that are out in the wilderness, it may be a wilderness in which it's not that bad, or you may be in the chorba in which you feel like everything inside of you is completely parched. I want to pray for you as well and know that God is our source of refreshment. Father, we thank you for this psalmist. We thank you that his life experienced hardships so we could see the pathway out, how we can survive in the chorbas of life when the wilderness seems to leave us so dry and parched. Lord, I think of friends that are listening even now in this room and online who have not yet taken the step to make, to make you the Lord and Savior of their life. Oh Lord, I hope that they will hear the urgency, that that is the greatest need of their life. Just as the psalmist said, what I long for more than anything, like a deer is desperate for water, I am desperate for you, and I pray that you would put that desperation in their heart and they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, I pray that if anyone has voiced a prayer similar to that, they would recognize your grace prevailing in their lives and they would take the next steps among those who can help them in the growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, how my heart aches for those in this room even now who find themselves in the chorba and they know that the only way out is by you miraculously intervening in their life. May they have the confidence, as the psalmist said, to put their hope in you, to trust you completely and to not think that they have to lift their legs to help this plane get off the ground, but you've got this and you will put them where they need to be. Oh God, may they know of your favor and blessing in their life. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. If you feel like God is moving you to some type of decision in your life, maybe to receive Christ, recommit your life to Christ, maybe God's calling you into full-time ministry, maybe you feel the need to be baptized because you've not yet done that. That's something that God calls each of us to do. Maybe someone in this room is saying that this is the kind of church that I would like to be a part of, just like the Schaefer's discovered some 10 plus years ago. We invite you to respond. First of all, you can use a communication card. Just put your name and phone number. Meet us out in the atrium there at the Connection Center. And we'll take that card and someone will be in touch with you in the coming week. Or if you want somebody to pray with you right now while we're singing, at the end of each one of these aisles, there'll be a deacon and their wife standing there to pray with you. I'll be standing over here at the cross. We'll pray with you there. However God is leading you, let's move together as a congregation. Let's long for what the psalmist longed for. Not private worship, 
longing for the corporate worship of God's people together. Let's stand and worship. Have a great week. See you back tonight for Bible study.